Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. It's a story about the final judgment, and as Jesus describes the scene, it's disturbingly simple. Just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So the question becomes then, how will we be judged? Based on Jesus' parable from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, this is the message that's entitled, Sheep, Goats, and Chocolate Chip Cookies. His name was Stuart Farnham, the Reverend Stuart Farnham, and he was a dear friend and classmate of mine back in my seminary days. Now, some of you will probably recall that I've mentioned Stuart before from this pulpit. You might also remember his story. His, his backstory was that he was a kindergarten teacher in a little village in Vermont for well over 20 years when he finally answered this very persistent call he'd been hearing to go into the pastoral ministry. And he moved his wife, Maydeen, and their five sons to Bangor, Maine, of all places, so that he could attend seminary. And that's where I met him, and that's how I got to know him. Now, even though Stuart was considerably older than I was, he and I hit it off right away. And it was a friendship, friends, that spanned many years until he passed away uh, back in 1997, I believe. He and I participated in each other's ordination. Um, I, I helped renew the, he and Nadine's wedding vows a few years later, and he was a part uh, of Lisa's and my wedding ceremony as well. Stu was bright. He was smart. He was funny. And in so many ways, more than he ever would know, was a great inspiration to me as a person and as a wannabe parson. But I guess what I will always remember the most about him, and Nadine as well, was how you were always made to feel incredibly welcomed into their home. As far as Stu and Nadine were concerned, the whole seminary family was their family. Their hospitality was such that not only were you always invited to stay to dinner, it was pretty much expected that you would stay for dinner. And uh, at the time, being single and a commuter student to boot, I did many times over the course of my seminary education and beyond, as did many others during those years. There were very few times when there wasn't an extra place or two or three set at their kitchen table. And although, given the fact that they had these five growing boys who were always running around, it would be inevitably a noisy, chaotic, sometimes an even harrowing experience, <laughs> there was always a lot of love to be shared in that house. That's why early on, the Farnhams became for me the very model of what Christian hospitality and true caring is all about. However, all that having been said, this is not to say that such hospitality always happened in, shall we say, a traditional fashion. 
In fact, and this, this happens to be one of my all-time favorite stories, and it is true. It's a story about the Farnums, and it had to do with Maydeen's famous homemade chocolate chip cookies. Maydeen was always baking off those cookies, and uh, friends, even now, I remember, they were amazing. But the problem was she could never keep up with demand. Between five big strapping boys who were always hungry, a husband who had a perennial sweet tooth, and visitors like me, hey, they told me I could help myself. <laughs> Maydeen inevitably was not able to keep that cookie jar filled up. And at first, you see, Maydeen used to keep that cookie jar atop the refrigerator in, in their home. And then she moved them back in the back of the pantry where it was meant to keep the, the cookies, in her words, out of sight and out of mind. But it was to no avail. Every night, Maydeen would come home from working at the local hospital to discover a newly emptied cookie jar. Needless to say, Maydeen tended to get a little tad upset about that with her family. And, and what I remember, and she used to tell me about this, I remember she tried setting limits, making deals, and had issued more than a few direct threats before finally engaging in some wonderfully inspired and finely tuned espionage. To it, Maydeen began to actively hide the cookie jar, under the bed, in the cellar, in the wood box, underneath the firewood, wherever her boys might not think to look. And, you know, and for my money, it was actually a pretty good plan. So imagine Nadine's surprise then when one fall afternoon, just about this time of year, she came home from work to find yet again an empty cookie jar in the kitchen cover off to one side, telltale crumbs lying about on the sideboard. Oh, brought new meaning to that, that children's song, Who Stole the Cookies from the Cookie Jar. And it was the last straw, and though I was not there, I was told later by Stu that the house quite literally shook as Maydeen yelled in a way that only an overtired, fed-up parent can yell, Who ate all the cookies? She was like a drill sergeant who had issued the order for inspection because immediately six pairs of feet all came running. All five boys and Stuart too. And there was no doubt whatsoever that mom meant business. All right, I have had enough of this. I want to know who ate all those cookies and I want to know right now. Of course, also understand that by this time all five of the boys had learn the importance of a quick and firm alibi. And each, in turn, related their alibi to their parents. That is, every one of them except Tim. Tim, who was at the time around maybe 16 years old, he was, as I remember, usually in some kind of trouble with his parents for something. And as I recall, he always seemed to be perennially grounded. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm grounded. That was our everyday greeting, practically. So, anyway, now the truth finally surfaced. The crime was revealed. It was Tim who'd found the hidden cookie jar. 
which by the way was just behind the towels in the back corner of the upstairs linen closet. It was Tim who had single-handedly absconded with the whole jarful, big jarful of cookies. And now it's dad's turn to yell. Who, young man, gave you permission to eat all of those cookies? How could you eat that much? And don't you ever think of anyone else? And, and what have you got to say for yourself, young man? Don't be talking when I'm talking to you. Well, then there was, of course, the long silence until very quietly and with a little bit of a catch in his voice, Tim said simply this. There's this man. He walks down Hammond Street. Every day I see him. He's really thin. And it doesn't look like he gets very much to eat. So today I decided to get a grocery bag, fill it with cookies, and took them out, and I gave it to him. Yeah. And what I always remember is at this point, as Stuart told the story, he just chuckled, and he shook his head, saying, I mean, what could you say to the kid? Lord, when was it when we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Or naked and gave you clothing? And the king will answer them. Truly I tell you, just as you did it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it. To me. In those last few days in Jerusalem, after the triumphal entry and before the agony of the cross, Jesus spoke a great deal about the necessity of active waiting and of for preparing for the coming of the kingdom. And as a way of teaching, Jesus told them parables that not only emphasize this great truth but which also served to illustrate the dire fate awaiting those who were found unprepared. The story we heard last Sunday, for instance, the one about the five foolish bridesmaids locked out of their wedding celebration for lack of extra oil and for their lamps. You read through some of these stories and you, you immediately are aware that these are stories with distinctly unhappy endings. But the message is crystal clear. Jesus is saying, be ready for the kingdom when it comes. And you know not the day or the hour, so be ready for it or face the consequences. And so now, in our text for this morning, Jesus speaks of a final judgment. Of that promised moment when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And the time when all the nations will be gathered before him, when people will be separated from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This, says Jesus, is the judgment. When all is said and done, when our lives are finished and our world will be done, we will be judged. And the judgment will determine whether we will be as the sheep that is welcomed into the kingdom 
or we or if we will be treated as goats forever cast into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But isn't it interesting, as you heard Kay read the story today, that the criteria for said judgment ends up having actually very little to do with how religious we are. It it has nothing to do with how spiritually correct we have endeavored to be. It won't focus on our record of service in the church or in the community or, or what it is we have put in the offering plate. It won't even come on the basis of good and charitable thoughts and in our long cherished philosophies. No, nothing like that. Jesus describes it in a way that's pretty simple, disturbingly simple, in fact. As the king explains to the sheep at his right hand, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. In other words, Jesus says, do the right thing. Take care of people. Be good to others. Reach out to those in need. That's what it's all about. That's what sets the sheep of this world apart from the goats. It's as simple and really as complicated as that. And and no, it really isn't all that simple. If it were, there wouldn't be the need for this kind of swift and severe judgment that Jesus is warning of in this parable. And even in the story, sheep and goat alike appear to be rather confused as to how or why they ended up where they ended up. Lord, whenever did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked in prison or in prison? And how is it that we ever did these things for you or for that matter not do these things for you and really I you know every time I hear that story I come back with the same reaction it's a valid question I mean it's one thing to know what you have to do right you it's one thing to know what you're supposed to be doing it's, it's nice to know, and it's, it's one thing to understand when and how you're supposed to do it, but it's another to know about it when you're not even aware if you've been even doing it or not. Lord, when was it that we saw you? How are we supposed to know what we're to do when what we do ends up being such a crucial thing? Give us a little hint here, Lord. How are we supposed to Well, friends, the beauty of this particular parable is that Jesus has a very clear and concise answer. Albeit one, as I say, is not all that simple. Truly, I tell you, he says, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. See, basically, it turns out that true caring is an indicator of the condition of a believer's heart. And that means everything. 
It matters that the person who has been the recipient of God's compassion will then turn around and share that love with others in real and tangible ways. It matters that one's faith encompasses both an awareness of things as they really are in this world, but also the compassion and the commitment to respond to that reality with love, with caring. It matters that one's mission and purpose in this life be centered on being about the work of the kingdom right there, right in the places and the situations and the people with whom they dwell. Or if we can put a finer point on it, a bag full of chocolate chip cookies, even Maydeen's amazing chocolate chips cookies, might not be the singular tool that will wipe out hunger in our time or, or make for world peace. But the heartfelt, Christ-centered act of sharing those cookies with those in need might well be what it takes for us to inherit the kingdom. Because by doing for others, Doing for others. When you do that, you might just as well be doing it for Jesus Christ himself. This is arguably one of the most straightforward of all of Jesus' parables. And what it does for us even now is to bring every single one of us back to a fundamental question about our Christian faith. Where is our heart? Where is our heart? Do we have the kind of heart that takes from everything around us? That ignores the cries of brothers and sisters in need? Or do we have the kind of heart that gives of itself in Christ's name? That does all for the sake of Christ's kingdom? Beloved, let me be very clear about this. Our answer to that question, where's our heart? It makes all the difference as to our life in this world and in the next. Because also, make no mistake about it, Jesus is there to remind us that we are accountable for what we do or don't do. Kind of like uh, the, what's printed on a sign at a gift shop at the National Cathedral down in Washington, D.C. Apparently, there's a sign posted just over the cash register, and it reads as follows. We may not have seen you take it, but God did. <laughs> it's true, you know. And in all things, God sees. God knows. God understands and views everything that's in our hearts. Most especially regarding the small and seemingly unnoticed things we've said or done. Or perhaps, again, what we've left unsaid and left undone. I know, friends, especially on a day such as this, it's a sobering thought for us to consider that all these things that we do make such a big difference to God. But the good news here is that our understanding this might just lead us to view every opportunity we have before us for love and caring as opportunities precious, and not to be ignored and certainly not to be missed. Now, maybe that precious opportunity comes in the form of, of bringing a few cans of cranberry sauce for our Thanksgiving baskets. 
Maybe it's providing an item or two for the Fellowship Housing Gifts Bag. Spoiler alert, check your bulletin. That's our next project. (laughs) Or maybe it comes in the chance that does come along for each and every one of us to let a friend or even a stranger share their burden with us or cry on our shoulders. Whatever it is, acting on that opportunity before you becomes just one more part of a life and living that's wholly devoted to God and devoted to those whom God loves. This is how our, our, our words and our deeds, our hands and our hearts, our attitude, as well as our practice, become not only the ways by which we love our neighbor as ourselves, but also the way we honor and worship the Lord our God with true thanksgiving and praise. Not just on a Thanksgiving Sunday, not just on a Thursday afternoon, very quickly so the food doesn't get cold, not just then, but every day of our lives. When did we see you, Lord? When did we see you? Well, beloved, I hope and pray that when our time of judgment comes, we'll already know the answer to that question. That truly, we saw the face of Jesus Christ in those we encounter along the pathways of our life. At every stop along the way, that we honored our Lord by the love and care we were equipped and empowered to share as persons, as people, as, as families, as friends and neighbors, and yes, as the church of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? At the end of the day, whether we're talking about a, a basket of, of Thanksgiving food items or a bag of, of chocolate chip cookies, it ends up being Jesus with whom we share those things. It's Jesus that we're serving. So might it be, beloved, so might it be for each of us. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Sheep, Goats, and Chocolate Chip Cookies. It was recorded during our November the 19th Thanksgiving Sunday service of worship at East Church. By the way, you are always invited to join us in person for Worship at East Church. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our worship, and I know you'll be glad you came. But for now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. As always, I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.